Hello there, welcome back to Millennial Musings. I'm your host Anurag Ramchandran, and as always, I chat with friends and fellow millennials about the issues that affect our world today. Moving is incredibly difficult, especially as a young adult, for work or for love. This week's episode on moving for love, facing challenges in South Africa, features Ami Bhatt, a good friend of mine who is now a PhD student in the United States, but spent the better part of the last four years in South Africa. Let's jump straight in. I'm with Ami, who is a wonderful friend of mine back from college. Uh, we actually ended up going on an incredible adventure after we lost touch with each other. Um, some of it uh, really challenging, some of it in which you had to really dig deep to really understand who she is, uh, know what it takes to be somebody uh, living in a different environment completely and becoming successful at that. And it's honestly such a joy to obviously have a friend uh, to talk, talk to about some of these issues uh, because it's things that I've dealt with as well, you know, growing up and having lived in multiple places. But um, I will let Ami introduce herself, uh, but just know this, you're in, you, everyone is in for a ride because she's such a terrific human being. Okay, so <laughs> as Anurag said, my name is Ami. Um, it's really weird to be introduced by a friend in such a <laughs> formal way. But um, yeah, so I, right now, I'm going to be living in Claremont, California. I'll be doing my doctorate in public health at Claremont Graduate University. Um, and I'm just excited for the future. And when anyone says that, it means that they had a hard past, uh, a pro tip. Yeah, and actually, uh, just to put everything into context, uh, Ami and I had last seen each other probably in 2014, I would say. 2014. 2014, it's a long time ago. <laughs> and since 2014, I think well, we kind of lost touch, but we reconnected almost a couple months ago when uh, Ami was visiting Bombay, and uh, where I live. And uh, when we caught up, it was, it was catching up because <laughs> we just had lived to completely parallel but you know lives with like ups and downs and lefts and rights and uh, as she said you know when somebody tells you that they're looking forward to their next step it's usually because there's been a lot behind uh, let's uh, you know I think I think the way I would like this conversation to go is obviously where we talk about um, a little bit about Ami's past uh, but a lot about uh, the things that she's observed and learned from her experiences in different parts of the world. And again, to give you context, uh, Ami had uh, moved to South Africa uh, for four years, right? Almost. For, almost four years, which is a long amount of uh, long period of time. And before then, you'd only lived in India or the United States, correct? Yes. Wow. Okay. So uh, let's start with what brought you to South Africa first. Like, let's go all the way back. Okay. And let's have like a quick discussion about that before we move on to like some of the wider issues that we previously talked about but are now about to talk on mic. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so uh, th this goes back to 2015. Um, and I had gone to South Africa with the Isaac program um, just for a summer internship with a, a nonprofit organization for systems engineering. And while there, I just loved the city of Johannesburg where I was. Um, and I also met someone who was the only person I had ever had feelings for. Um, and we started a relationship that got pretty serious pretty fast, um, which was very out of character for me. So when I came back to America, 
um, and told all my friends and family. They were less than uh, less than <laughs> happy about the fact that um, I was talking about making moves and everything for this man, which also is very out of character for me. Um, so, yeah, so I went back. I realized, you know, um, I am in love with someone, so I am going to make some moves. Um, so I decided to graduate early from my undergrad at the University of Missouri, where me and, me and um, Anurag had met. And we went, and I moved to South Africa um, in November of 2015. And yeah, and when I was in South Africa, I was just with my partner at the time. Um, and I absolutely adored his family. Of course, I loved him, but me and his family were just instantly clicking. Um, and the, especially the woman in his family taught me so much and we still keep in touch. Um, so just I'm not gonna say any names, but they're all like yeah. beautiful, influential um, women. Uh, with more strength than I've seen um, in most people. So, yeah, so it was a roller coaster while I was there. So while I was there, I worked with a lot of really amazing causes, mostly for um, gender equity. Right. And um, I learned a lot about, uh, you know, behavioral science, about political theory, about social theory, um, and of course about South African history. Um, And how how the youth of South Africa were looking to looking to change things uh so it was really exciting to be a part of that movement and if if you guys don't know definitely check out the fees must fall movement in south africa um so i was there for that and um and that was just a movement a protest against the rising cost of education um in traditionally white institutions so um that was really exciting and so Externally, everything was amazing. Uh, my relationship wasn't, it was very much up and down. Um, and it became quite emotionally abusive. And that was really strange because I'm this, I'm, uh, I've always been a feminist and I ran in those circles. Um, and for anyone out there who's been in that situation where it's like you feel like you can't talk to anyone, especially in your circle mm-hmm. because um, you're supposed to be a strong person. Like, I totally get that. So that's sort of what I was going through. And then in 2018, and I was actually meant to marry this person, but then, uh, you know, we both made the correct decision to separate before that happened. But um, in 2018, skip ahead a little bit. Um, uh, I decided to end that relationship and stay in South Africa through 2018. So I ended it in August, um, stayed till December. Um, and it was it. It was so exciting. It was like you're doing all these exciting things, but they're being weighed on by you know a bad relationship, for example. Um, and so, taking that piece of toxicity out and just enjoying South Africa as what it was, which right. is just you know a the place. forefront of I don't even know how to put it. Intellectual yeah. theories. That's like amazing. Theoretical um, movements and throwing it into action and art and literature and music yeah. and history. It's just really, really exciting. So um, It just sounds like the meeting point of so many amazing things. And, uh, th- and especially 
areas and avenues that would allow an individual of your age or my age uh, to grow and develop at like a breakneck speed even because there's so much going on and so much to see and mm-hmm. learn. Uh, but what I want to really touch upon is obviously there's so many exciting aspects about what you've told us so far. And uh, from what I know about you, there are three areas that I really, really um, have always enjoyed learning more about from you and understanding how things went about. So obviously one is uh, some of the challenges that you face in your relationship and how you, as such a strong individual, been able to overcome them and uh, move on and forth and make those big decisions and uh, challenging decisions. The second is obviously South Africa as this melting point of so many, so many amazing aspects that you just talked about. And the third is... And, and something that I actually really, really want to focus on is how you made that drastic move to go to South Africa for love, but eventually made it home in, 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 in your own way, having experienced so many different things, done so many different things, met so many amazing people. Um, but obviously there's challenges to moving and living in a brand new place that you'd only like visited for an internship previously. Um, so these are the three areas that I want to talk about. But let's start with moving to a brand new country and city and trying to suddenly make that home after you've met this guy and you, you know that he's the person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, first of all, it was one of the best decisions of my life and I'm go. really happy I did it. <laughs> but um, second of all, I think people have this really romanticized version mm. of what moving to a new country is. Right. Um, and especially right out of university. So, um, you know, in university, you're, a, or at least I was a social creature, and it's pretty easy to be in a social bubble and to um, always meet new people. Right. And to join clubs and groups and everything. You're surrounded by people all, all the time. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Um, there's never a moment alone, and you recognize people all the time. People right. will, like call you out in the street, say hi, and that's a community. Yeah. And uh, when university ends, no one really warns you that that sort of community, that like willingness for everyone to come and communicate and really, you know, become friendly, doesn't exist as much. Right. Um, it's quite like a, you need to put an effort. It's to kind make of isolating friends. initially. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was I'd moved to China, which is. Uh, which, as you know, is is my parallel story with this, right? Like right after the United States, where you both, you and I went to school, which is such an engaging environment to move to this new place and like have no one there that I know. Mm. And I think that's something that you'd faced as well. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, so no, so that's what ended up happening. Happening just went to South Africa, didn't know a soul. Um, so except for my partner, and then a few people I had met, but. That's the other thing. You move to a city, but there's parts of a city, right? Mm. So you can move to a city where people your age or people with the same interests live an hour away, and it's not feasible to always hang out. So um, that's when I realized I was an extrovert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That you just needed those people around I needed people (laughs) around all the time. Right. um, Because I thought it would be fine, but it's actually really tough, Yeah. um, which I'm sure you experienced in China as well. What were some of the big things that you felt when you realized that these people that you care for and need around you for energy, right? Like, they're not there around you right now. Like, what was that that emotion, like, that you experienced at that time? It was like, you'd think it would be homesickness or sadness or missing, Hmm. but it was just almost like frustration. Hmm. Like, it's like, why can't I just get over this and do something else and continue living my life? Why do I need to, you know, meet people? Like, it was just that sort of thing. 
Um, but no, you do. And were you were you were you actually recognizing that this was happening? Because in my case, when I moved, I just couldn't realize why I was sad. Like there was this permeating, like there was this sadness in the backdrop. Like I just didn't know. And being a social person, being an extrovert as I am, um, you know, I would meet people, I would connect with people, but then you forget that you're starting from scratch with everyone. Mm-hmm. These people don't know the last four years of life that, you know, that you're meeting up suddenly. You're this, you're, you're starting from scratch, which is exciting, obviously, but at the same time, there's that, you know, the, the familiarity breeds that kind of comfort, which is kind of suddenly taken away in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself like a little sad in the backdrop, but unable to exactly pinpoint as to why. But you sound a little more perceptive than I am. No, no, actually that's correct. Yeah. Like I think that's where frustration came from because mm-hmm. I couldn't understand for a bit. Like in yeah. hindsight, obviously it's clear, but um, yeah, no, that was definitely it. Right. And then guys, America is so convenient. Yeah. <laughs> it's so convenient. Being able to order food and it's there and like people understand your accent, like being able to like drive through an ATM, drive throughs really? Like, it's uh, the accessibility of cheap food, things like that. It, like, it's super, super convenient. But um, but the banking was better in South Africa, so there you it's go. okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's just, like, this adjusting and assimilating and um, you being the foreigner. Yeah. And I'm sure you felt this in China as well, but, like, you know, like, the... Okay, no, I'm not from here. I'm yeah. very clearly the outsider. Right. People look at me as an outsider. Yeah, and you know what? The funny thing on me is that when I uh, moved to the U.S., I think American culture and culture defined very loosely here uh, to involve maybe Hollywood and music and whatnot is 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 widespread enough that. I have a frame of reference, right? Like, so when I'm hanging out with friends in the States, American friends, again, I'm brand new, moving to the States, never visited before, uh, but yet I'm I'm able to connect because I speak the language fluently. I'm able to understand references. You tell me about Mean Girls, I kind of know it because I've seen Mean Girls before. But when I moved to China, it was there was no frame of reference. Like, I'd read everything I could read about China, obviously. I'd spend a, I'd spend a few months learning the language uh, um, a little, little by little, but there's references that's what actually makes that comfort level really um, feel right is what I felt because Mm -hmm. when I moved to China it was just like I just didn't get references I just couldn't get around cities (coughs) even though I knew the language I just didn't know where I could find certain things or where I could not find certain things Mm -hmm. where I should go and should not go what books told me were not always enough and um, I don't know if you had an experience like that um, that you just had to like kind of feel your way around the city constantly mm-hmm. to know oh i really don't know anything i can't even don't even know how to negotiate at the market like how do mm-hmm. i do that that's that's really fair um so luckily i yeah i didn't get references and you know there was language barriers but right. probably like things like having to negotiate a market or things not like infrastructure not being there or anything luckily i could i didn't have to face that in mm-hmm. johannesburg because it's very metropolitan. Right. The thing I did have to learn is that um, safety is an issue. So, like, you can't walk around. For example, the phone snatching is a big thing. So, mm. like, you can't walk around with your phone out, really, because someone might come and grab it and hop in a white polo. It was always a white polo. And, like, oh my drive away. And I didn't <laughs> understand that. Right. Um, so, people would be like, what are you doing? Like, mm. you're, like, turn your purse inside out so your flap isn't on the other side. Right. You know, things like that. And that's not to say it's not, like, livable or right. isn't, there aren't safe areas. It's just, like, 
picking up mannerisms like that. Right. And yeah. very interesting, though, because uh, for me, it was the opposite, right? Because safety, was a, it's a very safe place. So I didn't have to think about safety as much. But that's an interesting concept because you moved to a city which is which is known, uh, if I may, for a lot of crime and uh, ha- does have some safety issues. So what, what did you face while you were there? Were you, were, you, were you prepared to face what kind of security concerns that could have been there? Or, or did you know what you were entering into? Well, I, so I, I was um, a bit of like, um, I was trying to be willfully ignorant. So I knew mm. that it had, Johannesburg had a reputation for crime. And I was like, you know what? These are just Statistics, American yeah. white people coming up <laughs> with things to make Africa look bad. And then I went there and then like South Africans were like, no, you need to be cognizant. And mm. I was like, okay, that's true. Um, so and when somebody from there se- to, says that to you, you're like, well, yeah, yeah I, I really should. <laughs> I was just like, because like, yes, they are sick of the rest of the world's impression of them. But then they were like, no, but like, actually be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really cool. But yeah, so I did have to learn and I had a few brushes, but um, eventually I was like full fledged. I I think I could handle a situation and I did handle a situation. Yeah. Did I tell you about the hijacking story? You did. But let's let's hear that again, because I think that's one of the most badass stories I've ever heard. This is a this is my Batman moment. Like I was very proud of myself. This is where like the the light, the spotlight just falls on Ami and she talks about the hijacking situation. The hijacking situation. The hijacking situation. situation. Go for it. important thing in my life okay so um right after i separated i decided to get this cool apartment in uh in the city in like this new development um really hip you know that's why i decided to live there so um but right outside of it it wasn't developed yet so it wasn't the nicest safest area so um and i was borrowing um a car from a friend so i you don't stop at red lights in those areas at night. You just keep going. Like, mm. look both ways and keep going. So that's basically... But there was a car in front of me. It was a red light. I was driving from one part of the city to another. And there was a red light, a car in front of me. So I had to stop, obviously. And um, a guy came banging on my window. And initially, I thought, you know, this uh, maybe begging for money. But actually, he was, like, aggressive. And then I pretended to that thing girls do where they pretend not to hear anything when somebody shouts at them in the street. Right. Uh, and then another guy came on the passenger side. And I was driving alone. And he started banging on the window. And then um, I was just, like, revving the engine and hooting a little bit to get the guy in front of me to move. I don't think he put anything together um and then i don't know how they did this but they were able to unlock my car wow and they opened the driver and you think they had like side. some kind of jammers or something i think it was a signal yeah. jammer or something so they opened the car doors and want the guy on the driver's side grabs my hand the guy on the passenger side grabs my arm and i had so what was going through my mind was okay I'm buckled in. I'm mm. in a car that isn't mine. They're demanding my phone. I just bought my phone. <laughs> so I wasn't going to give it to them. You're going to fight. Yeah. And then the second thing was I'm a woman alone. And mm. so, like, I think a lot of girls think this. It's kind of a lucky situation if they just take your possession. So right. I was not going to back down from them. So I started honking and I did, like, forget any training it was just like slapping around and flailing and just like screaming back and everything and i shoved my phone under the seat and i like 
jumped the curb and I pushed the guy from the driver's side. I just pushed his face out the out the door and I just kept speeding. I was not slowing down. Um, and then the guy on the passenger side was holding on for a bit, but then I think he realized like this person is gonna drive me onto the highway wow. with the open door with half his body hanging out. Um, so yeah, so he hopped out and I like, just the speed alone shut both the doors. Right, And I right. locked them and I drove like 160 kilometers an hour to get to where I was going. Wow. And I was terrified that <laughs> night and I woke up and I like called everyone I knew to let them know that I was Batman. Right. The next month. That you are. That right. I'm Batman. Yeah, that I'm like ready for are. it to complete vigilante justice. I mean, jokes aside though, I know <laughs> we, we talk about your Batman moment and how how incredible that 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 was but that is terrifying mm. um you know i'm i'm traveling in mumbai which so far so good knock on wood uh i haven't had any kind of brush with any 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 such in- instances but even even the possibility of something like that happening is terrifying just listening to your story i'm um the first time you told me uh, i think we were in a cab in uh, in mumbai and when you told me i was like oh my gosh like something like that is truly terrifying and um can completely change your experience in a city mm. yet it didn't for you so the thing was i think the reason it didn't was because first of all it was the tail end of my time in johannesburg right and second of all being in the gender equity space um, crime was another thing that drove a lot of the movement. So other than the Fees Must Fall movement, there were um, two pretty radical um, feminist movements. Right. One was Men Are Trash that happened after a really violent um, murder okay. of a girl, uh, which was publicized and everything. Um, and then and, and similar incidents taking place. And then the other was um, the total shutdown, the, the march that took place August 1st for um, in honor of Women's Month. Um, and both were, it was just thousands and thousands of women coming together, sharing really awful stories, knowing what the statistics of gender-based violence in Johannesburg was. And like, you know, what I experienced was actually quite tame hmm. compared to the stories that you've heard. So in a weird way, being exposed to that, you know, being there for three years and learning how to deal with things, um, it just kind of made it like, okay, this is just life. Yeah, like I, you know that this is out there. Exactly. And that, yeah. And, and because so many other women have dealt with so much worse. Hmm. Um, and so it was, I think if I had experienced that at the beginning of my trip I would have like definitely felt differently right yeah but then by then you 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 knew uh, you by then you were a resident of the city and uh, Mm. I think I think some for somebody who's a resident of a place somebody whose heart has fallen for a city it's uh, it's hard for one instance or two instances to truly rip it out Mm. Um, I don't know if you feel like feel like that about it no absolutely and it's like Okay, again, I'm going to like just say Joburg and Cape Town in South Africa are just incredible cities. Yes, it is crime. Yeah, crime exists. But like it's maybe one of the most interesting places because there's tons of immigrants right. um, within the continent of Africa and beyond. Um, you know, Durban used to be the city with 
the largest population of Indians outside of India. Right. Um, you know, tons of Portuguese-speaking people of like mixed descent, um, a large Jewish population, yeah. and then obviously the white-colored African and Indian, the four sort of main racial main, things. Yeah. And within black, there's all the different tribes. South Africa has 11 official languages. Um, the hands down the most progressive constitution in the world. Wow. Um, so, and you know, to have a fight like apartheid, which was sort of a rallying movement. Um, so, like just a generation ago, it it just makes it like have an energy. I don't think is anywhere else in the world. Um, I think on that note, it's like a good transition to like South Africa because uh, you, you beautifully summarize what makes it so unique and diverse and beautiful. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's go in, into depth more. Uh, you've told me um, just a little while ago about how there are so many, the, the arts and the culture and the politics and the, um, and, the, and the fashion and there are so many areas that intermix so beautifully to make this such a <coughs> vibrant and like happening country and, and, and the cities I'm, I'm sure reflect all of that. Uh, tell us a little bit more about those experiences because you were working in development, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time you were pretty plugged into a lot of the uh, other scenes happening all around uh, South Africa, especially the women's rights and the gender equality movement. Obviously, one being one of them, but also fashion and art mm -hmm. and stuff. So talk talk a little bit more about that. So, like, I think the best comparison I can make is that when I entered, I was coming from Missouri, and my uni our university, Mizzou, was voted the worst-dressed campus <laughs> in the States, right? Like, oversized t-shirts. Mizzou graduates apologize in advance to all of you. Oh, they know. We all wore, like, oversized t-shirts that were brightly colored that we got for free, and, like, sweatpants, and then, like, flip-flops. Right. And like in and in South Africa, people are like, I would never in my life right. exit my home in flip flops. Like it's an offense. Um, <laughs> and like uh, once I got out, I was just like, no, I know my summer fabrics are linen and cotton. Like I like had a sense of style and looked like a decent human being. Right. Um, and that's like a, I think that's like a really good example of growth in a sort of superficial way. Um, but. Yeah, no, so first of all, the activism permeates all aspects of society mm -hmm. in South Africa, whether it's race or gender or queer rights right. or, you know, like just, or within tribes. Like it's it's very, very, um, it's everywhere, but yeah. at the same time, it's super nuanced mm. in the way that you have like, people are either on the right or the left. It's not so much. People have more nuanced points of views and they have, um, People like critique each other often, mm. which is really wonderful. Um, and then that bleeds into street style in fashion and in art shows Expression. and everything. Mm. Exactly. And one thing I saw is for all the criticisms for private sector and um, the elitism of it all, um, even they, even the banking and financial sector, was involved in hosting these large scale art literature affairs um, supporting up-and-coming African artists right because here's a good exercise Google African art and see if you don't see just African textiles mm. not the like how African sub-saharan African artists and then you know Mina district as well uh, Mina area has hasn't permeated you know the 
modern art scene. Right. And it's just incredible. That's amazing. Uh, it's just, and, and also, uh, I remember when, by, by the way, we're at Kochi right now, and uh, we've been visiting the Biennale the last few days. Uh, I remember us walking, and you, you'd notice a South African artist or so, and be like, oh, yeah, I've seen this work before, or I, I may have met this artist. And uh, mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about South African art and artists and uh, works that you'd seen previously make its way all the way to India, South India especially, in Kochi? Like, mm. you're here now. Uh, you probably didn't know that you were going to see some of this artwork or the names that you're so familiar with, but here you are and you see it. Mm. What's that reaction? Do you... So actually, I, it was weird, but I knew because one of my friends is a poetess in South Africa, mm. a political one, and she was performing here um, oh, wow. at Biennale. Yeah. Unfortunately, she left before I could get here. But um, And then I noticed like the whole um, sea-facing exhibits like right. all of them were made by artists from Cape Town or Joburg huh. and um, by the way no one in South Africa Johannesburg calls Johannesburg Johannesburg it's okay. like Josie or Joburg so okay. you'll hear me say that <laughs> um, like and so when I saw the exhibit it was also at the FNB Joburg Art Fair from mm. 2018 and it was like instantly recognizable um, and I mean it's just wonderful that they're getting international recognition um, and especially because uh, a, a really large criticism of the art world is that when white male artists do something, it can be very abstract. Like it can right. be one of those things that you ask, like I could have made this, or I don't understand why this is right. worth $50,000. Um, whereas people of color and female or queer artists, they have to make something that like is very aesthetically pleasing and needs to be about the identities that they have or it needs to be a painful experience for it to really show up and because of that when when art is all around everywhere but in Johannesburg especially it was so powerful and it transcended just you know traditional culture quote-unquote um, it wasn't textiles like it's not the textiles that you see online yes it may be part of it but it's it's um, it varies quite a bit and um, and it's really really powerful like that so I mean it's got the strongest art scene I've seen thus far and I used to live in LA so yeah <laughs> no, that's that's well that's that's not subtle at all but um, talk talk about and you know like I think this is something that I've always struggled with as well because I do enjoy art and uh, as you know I travel um, as far as I can and my means allow me to uh, go and observe and learn as much as I can about the art scene even though I'm not an artist myself um, but I do agree with you very strongly when you say that art somehow needs to have a definition when it is marginalized communities or marginalized people doing the art um, and I feel like it is such an important important issue to talk about and something that's not talked about enough about how that kind of pressure exists on marginalized communities to create things of meaning it can't be abstract it can't be like interpretative you know it has to have a message or a meaning do you think in your personal opinion and i know you do some art yourself um in your in your opinion do you think it's uh, something that fuels artists of minority uh, communities to be able to have much more powerful work and impact through their work or do you feel like it's something that's regressive and something that's like limiting a lot of artists from truly being able to expand uh, express themselves uh, in, in, the, in the most 
most beautiful way that they can. So that's tough, right? Because obviously I think something, but I'm not a marginalized person. Like, yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I'm Indian. I'm also prominent and light-skinned and have an American accent, you know? So, like, I'm, like, really fine. Um, but, w- like, I'll say it from my friend's perspective, sure. who is a black queer woman, and she's Nigerian. Mm. Um, and what she said is, you know, every time she made something, her instructor um, would be like, no, it doesn't really talk about how you're black or how you're a woman or how you're queer. And she's like, yes, but I, I live it every day. I want right. to make something else. I want to make this digital piece about tech or whatever. Right. And that's what she ended up doing. And she got kicked. Uh, I mean, she didn't get kicked out, but she got a bad grade for it, which I thought was absurd. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's one thing. But then a classmate who was a white woman, white um, Afrikaans woman, she made a piece that was a white brick wall and put some white lace and white items on it and talked about how like white people aren't it interpreted as white people aren't um, allowed to have you know opinions or you know white people are attacked in society now and she was like hailed as you know like making a provocative piece whereas you know the 80% black community in that class was like okay but no yeah. You know, you're just being held accountable now. And so that's sort of what I saw. And that's a lot of the frustration. Like, that's an example of the frustration that I felt other people were feeling. Mm. Like, truly marginalized communities were feeling. Um, but at the same time, not really, like, complaining about. Right. Just, like, playing the system in ways. Right. Um, and at this Biennale, um, there was an exhibit called The Gorilla Girls. Yes. Which was really amazing. Yes, which and is incredible. Yeah, and it was yeah. like pop art sort of, and they did um, like a, like they sort of called out big museums. In New York City, yeah. Yeah, on having like no... Uh, uh, female representation in their uh, mm. individual, I think, art exhibits. Uh, yeah, exhibitions uh, done by individual women, I think it was. Yeah, or black women. Uh, or black women. Uh, and... And it's crazy to think that numbers haven't changed from 1985, I think, was when they first... So the comparison was between 1985 and between uh, 2018 or so. And it was just striking to see that that still is the case. Hmm. That we're not talking about these kind of things. And even spaces that are supposed to be liberal and um, and, and, and open to communities, uh, minority communities, and uh, willing to have discussions about such difficult topics, even they themselves do not really cater to those you know mm-hmm. um when i last met you again uh, prior to us reconnecting uh again we were I, I feel like we've lived like multiple lives um in terms of our conversations back then versus the depth of conversations we're having right now obviously there's a natural progression or growth that happens as a result of time um but what I'm talking about is obviously a lot of your like your experience with your relationship and like having not just that go on, but also having to deal with like living in this new place away from family and friends. You've grown a lot, obviously, and um, there's obviously a lot of growth that um, is great because you've learned a lot. You've understand uh, understood more about certain issues or causes and stuff. There's also a lot of growth that happened as a result of certain challenges that you had to face or difficulties that you had faced uh, in so many, uh, in whatever uh, area it is. What are some of those, uh, like the kind of growth that just happened as a result of having lived a very, very challenging experience? Mm -hmm. What do you think? What's that kind of growth that that you have gone through? 
So I would say, like, you know, like I was away from a from my family. It was the first time I was fighting with my uh, mom, which was weird. And then moving to a new place and starting uh, this relationship that was quite serious. Um, and, you know, graduating early and graduating from my master's early and everything. Yeah. And it was like, you know, any accomplishment. It was, I mean, quite hard. It was really stressful. Of course. It was like a really stressful <laughs> three years. But it like was like, I feel like I learned as much as I would have in 10 years in three years. Yeah. It was like, I, I don't regret a second of it. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, it taught me a lot of valuable lessons that made me the person that can sit here and like have a conversation with you about it. Yeah. And you know, you said a lot about how moving so much, mm. not just like even when I had met you, you had already moved continents yeah. once yeah. and then moving continents again. Yeah. And now moving <laughs> countries for what? Fourth time? So many times. It's, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's hard, but yeah. it's like, it's something I would recommend for everyone right because I feel like it doesn't allow a space for you to be bitter over things that happened mm -hmm. or things that went wrong it actually makes you grateful right and helps you grow so it might just be like the stupid optimist in me but I, yeah. I do I do actually I'm actually quite happy about everything that happened right and and I think uh, especially in people like us who've had to make these kind of moves and uh, and have to live with the consequences of having made those kind of decisions. I think there's always um, a big self-harming kind of way that we tend to look at things. And um, and, and, and I know you've uh, mentioned this before to me uh, privately, but about how um, we can sometimes enjoy the suffering because it's 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 that that, that 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 the thrill of living that challenge and like growing so much out of it eventually or so um but what were some of like the self-care steps that you took while you were going through all this because i'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this and are going through this kind of transitory phases uh, or uh, are living experiences in which you know not everything is peachy um are are potentially thinking about what can i learn from her or him about how can I take care of myself in these kind of situations? Mm. What do you think about that? Well, I mean... What do you do? Okay, so after the b breakup, I would say the things I did was like... First, I just spiraled for a bit. Yeah. But then... I think I we all like, need a little bit yeah, of that, like I d Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it was like... <laughs> lots of like expressive art. Mm. Writing, journaling. You know, trying to meditate. Gymming I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, and then going on holidays that had like accomplishments attached to them so like going on a very long hike that you haven't right. done before or like a writing retreat or something like that was incredible but like i would warn that like you know i did even more self-care things in my relationship but they didn't work because like the key toxic thing was always there, there so yeah. i mean sometimes the best thing you can do for self-care is recognizing if you aren't getting better after mm. everything you've done is like what is the key toxic thing happening here right um, and it might be someone else it might be yourself like yeah. you just said like i i found that i liked playing the martyr you know that so so stopping that behavior yeah is like plucking a thorn out you know yeah and it's difficult isn't there. it absolutely like because 
we need to say like okay we did something wrong even when somebody has wronged you yeah it's it, like everything isn't black and white you right think and and mm. i also think that no amount of humility or like self-awareness is still enough to be able to tell yourself that you made a big mistake now take the step mm. um i've realized that time and again you know it's so easy to like i found it easier to just like move forward and move on but to move away from someone or something and to and to cut that ties that, that like intricate ties is off is just it's such a painful experience mm-hmm. and something that lingers with you for a while too so like as you said you know with all the journaling and um expressive art for me i i just make lists and lists of things that i just even little things like folding my clothes or like um waking up at 6:30 accomplishment mm-hmm. number 1 cross it out of this list i feel great that's a little bit of dopamine for me for that moment go to the gym again another one um while i did that for a long time i also realized that sometimes the best way to also deal with it is to accept um and i think that initially what i did in in my moments of like depression or sadness or challenges was to like not address it at all like let's pretend like it never happened or let's pretend like this person never existed and let's just move on full steam ahead and that is so so problematic <coughs> because un- until you really accept for yourself at least this is my experience I'm again I'm not speaking for anybody else i had to just sit down and be like well i'm sad it's okay that i'm sad mm. it's okay to feel sadness but now let's take measures to not feel as sad anymore but until i did that moment of like sitting down and being like sadness is okay Mm-hmm. um until i did realize and make that recognition for myself i wasn't able to like start getting better uh and i don't know if that was the case for you but at least um that acceptance is very very hard to do because it's so inward looking it's so pointing fingers at yourself and uh, decisions that you've done and then trying to address them which is not easy when you're already down in the dumps you know yeah and it's it's i think i feel like it's like um we don't take care of emotional health we do like the way we do of physical health which right. is like you go to have checkups which can be in the form of therapy or talking to your best friend or something um and then you know when you're broken you know you don't go to the doctor for no reason when you're in bad physical health when you're if you're coughing up blood yeah you're going to be like oh i'm coughing up blood something's wrong i need to go to the doctor right. with our emotional health i think we're like emotionally like we popped out our lung and we're like this is fine yeah i'm sure if i just meditate it'll go away <laughs> like it's sometimes you need more than that yeah um sometimes seek seek help right yeah. yeah and sometimes that lung popped out because of something you did to yourself mm. and then you need to stop doing that thing correct yeah correct. and no and, matter how painful it is sometimes. yeah yeah and but like it can be learned and i think in this day and age we've highlighted the importance of self-care so i do yeah. hope i feel like it's coming in the mainstream absolutely um, yeah, yeah and i and, and i like that we've uh, moved on to more of an optimistic note uh, on that front because uh, self-care is so important and self self recognition and empathy for yourself is also so important um but moving on uh what's what's next for ami uh after all these experiences uh that what's the new adventure it's a new adventure yeah okay so um i'm going to get this doctorate mm-hmm. you know and cross that off which my is list. terrific congratulations by thank the way thank you yeah. thank you thank you 
Um, and I have no idea what my thesis will be on. Right. Probably something about the global south and yeah. gender and how the health system doesn't work for them. Um, but less broad. Um, and then I hope to climb my first mountain this year because I need an accomplishment. Fantastic. Um, so I feel like I'm going to do that. And, um, you know, I'm going to just let my mom take care of me yeah. because I always felt babied by her and I was like, stop. I'm an mm. independent woman. I'm, I'm an moved adult. out. Yeah, I'm an this. adult. Yeah. And I just want to be a baby, sort of. So I'm going to like allow that to happen. And then just like where life takes takes me will be great right continue art continue activism continue all the things that make me happy amazing uh i mean what keeps you up at night these days what are you thinking about i don't know if anyone else has this form of anxiety but like you remember that dumb thing you did in sixth grade and you're just like i'm such an idiot that's literally it like i will stay up at night like i cannot believe i did that thing and i was like a socially inept very overweight um, child moving from India to America constantly mm. so I had a lot of those moments right <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting some of those moments definitely don't leave us uh, no, I have I have a couple interesting ones myself which we will save for another day uh, but uh, thank you so much Ami but before I let you go um, what's something that you've read recently that you found really interesting and that you'd like for us to read and check out as well like a book or like a quote? Oh, a quote would be amazing. That's different. Let's do a so quote. So a quote is, and I'll pull it up now because yeah. I saved it on my phone. Oh, that's great. You're giving me options too. Yeah, and it was actually at Biennale, and this is why it's important to go oh. to art fairs and things like that. Um, and I'll give you one that I read at Biennale and one I read elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first is, poems are like sentences that have taken their clothes off. And that was by Marlene Dumas, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, also yeah, yeah. a South African artist, by the way. Um, so read poems. Poems are incredible. <laughs> um, and then the other one that I was I read in that helped me sort of get in my activism spirit with was "Womanhood is Revenge for Girlhood," and it was actually spoken at um, the Gender Summit in response to the total shutdown in South Africa. Wow. And I love I thought it was so powerful. That is so powerful. Yeah. So those are my two quotes from other people that I would leave you with. Fantastic. I mean, yeah. thank you so much. Wishing you the very best for like your next adventure. Uh, I hope I get to see you soon as well. We um, will. We're yeah. meant to. We've made a pact that we're going to go to base camp, Everest base camp together. Exactly. So we're going to do that. So what's our timeline? And like I'm ready for next year. I'm ready for two years. Oh from my now, gosh! Next so year, next year might be a little difficult, but let's yeah. let's two to three years from now. How Done. About that? Two to three yeah. years. Awesome. We must Thank do you it. so much.